All right, good morning, Mercy Hill Church. My name is Brad. I'm one of the elders, and it's great to be with you today. In John chapter 8, in verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I'm going to say that again. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, light is really important. I remember several years ago when our family had moved to Nashville. And we had moved there in 2007 to plant a church. And Cole was about four years old. He was preschool age. And as I got home that day from work, I walked in and I asked Katie, how are the boys doing? And Katie said, well, Cole's still taking his nap and you should probably go and check on him because he actually went blind this afternoon just before nap time. And I said, come again? What? She said, well, it was just as I asked him to pick up his toys. And the rental home that we were living in, as you, as you walked in the front door, there's a, a staircase that went up to the second floor. And I saw that there were toys that had kind of littered the living room. And Katie said that Cole had, for several minutes with his eyes closed, had just tried to assure her that he was blind. He had even made his way up the steps and into his room and somehow found his place in his bed all while being blind. So I walked in and went upstairs and I flung the door open and I turned the light on and Cole said, Hey, Dad. And I said, It's a miracle, Cole. You can see. And he sheepishly looked to the side and said, Oh yeah, <laughs> light is so important in our lives. We, we need light for the circadian rhythms that our body uses to regulate uh, when we sleep and when we're awake. Light is so important. All kids know how important light is. The moment that you begin to put them in the bed... When the lights go off, all the sounds and shadows come on. And kids, it's okay because adults are still scared of the dark. Don't let them fool you and don't let them tell you that they're not. In fact, if your mom and dad say they're not scared of the dark, we'll bring them up here to the church building one night without a flashlight and we'll just see if that's true or not. We all need light. Darkness has this really strange effect on us. Adults have shown that within 48 hours of being in isolation and darkness, that they begin to hallucinate. Their mind plays tricks on them in trying to imagine the things that it cannot see. Light is very, very important. And in the day that we live, it seems as if we're experiencing darkness in our country at a level that we haven't seen in a very long time. We're arguing about masks and statues and equality and all kinds of things. And life in many ways seems very dark. Um, it seems dark even just trying to plan something. Like in our schedules, we were 
trying to regather our Sunday gathering back on June the 28th. And then on July the 12th. And then July 26th. And now we've given up. It's 89 degrees in this room. I'm sweating. And we need HVAC with the pandemic especially. And we've just said until we get a finished date on the HVAC process, we're not going to regather. So we are anxious to regather for those who can. And we realize that as soon as we get that date, we want to give it to you. But even scheduling things, it seems very dark. When it comes to safety, there's darkness. We don't know how to operate around one another anymore. We don't know how to act socially. We're trying to figure out what the best thing to do is. Do we send our kids to school? Do we keep them home? Like, what's the protocol here? I did a small wedding this weekend for David and Meredith. Congratulations, David and Meredith. They're, they're headed to Maine today on their honeymoon. And even there, I, I felt guilty. I saw Katie and Michael Eichner and, and, and I gave them a hug because I love them. I hadn't seen them in forever. And then I was like, oh no, I'm, I'm not supposed to be touching them. And I don't know how to act anymore around people. It's so difficult. Even when it comes to our security, we... Many people are concerned about their finances and job security. And it's a tough, dark time. And Jesus offers us the light that we need in this passage today. So I just want to focus in on, on verse 12. I want to zero in on it. And I want to encourage you. If you like to memorize scripture or adults, if you're looking for a scripture verse for your kids to memorize, this is an incredible verse. Because it, it's so simple to memorize. It begins with Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I want to unpack that today. We're going to see first Jesus' declaration, and then we're going to see a command that he gives in this verse. Thirdly, we'll see a promise, and finally the results. So a declaration, a command, a promise, and the results. But before we get to that, we need to look at the context of this passage once again Jesus, I believe the greatest communicator who ever lived in order to understand as Jesus says, I am the light of the world. We have to see the context. Because, well, if you remember, Jesus is in the tabernacle. Once a year, the Jews would celebrate this week of, uh, that they called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And it served to remind them of their people's history, how God had led them in the Sinai Desert for, for 40 years. And he gave them instruction in the Old Testament how they were to build tents. So they would go up to Jerusalem. And I've got to think that for the kids, this would be an incredibly fun time. You go up to Jerusalem. You see your friends again. You build a tent. And you eat all your meals in the tent. And you sleep in the tent. And you're just camping out for the week. It's a big, it's a big party. And each year at the end of the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jews would hold this special celebration. As the daylight would grow dim and finally give way to the night sky, the people would gather in a specific courtyard. And as they gathered in that courtyard, it was the courtyard of the women. And as the people gathered there, there were four large candelabras that accompanied them. These four large bowls of fire would be lit with, with four huge menorahs on top. So I have a, have a picture for you that is an artist 
an artist's rendering of what it could have looked like. So imagine these huge 75 foot tall candlesticks that each would hold about 10 gallons of oil. And it was said that, that as these were lit, that the people would arrive to this festival of light. And, and just imagine what this would have been like in the temple. We're not talking about hundreds of people. We're not talking about thousands of people. We're talking about ten thousands of people. This is like Times Square, if you will, on New Year's Eve. And as they show up, musicians would begin to play and some people would break into song. Soon everyone was singing ancient songs of praise. Even dancers would spill out into the middle of the courtyard. Moving in sequence with the music. And the Levites would play. Um, they would play all types of instruments. Harps and, and they would play the lyre. And cymbals and trumpets. And many other musical instruments. And while all this is taking place. Some people even think that those who held the torches. Might have thrown them into. To the air. So you've got this circus-like atmosphere. When Jesus' brothers said, hey Jesus, you need to go up to Jerusalem with us for the Feast of Tabernacles. That wasn't like, hey it's Easter or Christmas and we need to go to a church gathering. No, this was a party. This was, this was fun, man. This was a time of celebration. They danced and sang into the night to celebrate the God who brought light into darkness. They remembered the God that led their people through the, other, the utter darkness of a desert by a blazing fire. Imagine that. They're remembering their history for 40 years at night. There was no light. Except the stars. They're in the desert. It's grown cold. And as God would lead them, a pillar of fire would appear that would lead them through the desert. And they saw and followed that pillar of fire for 40 years. They knew that God was real, but they struggled to trust Him. But God was faithful, and they're celebrating His faithfulness. It was the dark of night, and yet the courtyard in the temple was bright like the light of day. It was said that this light filled every courtyard throughout the city of Jerusalem. And it's in this context, likely, on the eighth day, when the Jewish people have been celebrating all week long. This has been happening night after night after night. That Jesus would stand and declare, I am the light of the world. Can you imagine Jesus wasn't just claiming to be smart or unusually gifted. He was claiming to be the light. He was declaring that he is the one who leads and guides us and shows the best way to live in a world that's so full of darkness. He was referencing the first thing that God creates in Genesis, light. And he's claiming that to... To be that creative power in our midst. As if he could once again recreate our dark world. He was saying that though the world lives by the darkness of fear and oppression and violence and power. That he offers the kind of life that could overpower that darkness. For individuals and even for all of humanity. He was saying that the party was all about him. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever 
follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus knew about the dark. Jesus knew how dark the world could be. The darkness of poverty. The darkness of discrimination. The darkness of greed and disease and oppression and tragedy and broken relationships. Economic crisis, violence, and war. And in the middle of that darkness, he came forward and he made this radical declaration. So let's look at that declaration. He said, I am the light of the world. Now as you hear that, the first question is how? I'm the light of the world. How? Jesus came. He was a man. The Bible says he was a man who was God for For many people, they look at Jesus and they see him as a historical figure. And for him to say, I am the light of the world, they say he doesn't live anymore. How could he be the light of the world? Well, verses 28 and 29 tell us. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. The culmination of human history is that the God who said, Let there be light when the world was created, sent his son Jesus to die for us in order that we could be forgiven and justified. That we could be made right with God. Because of the life of Jesus, we are able to declare with the psalmist, as he said in Psalm 27, 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Jesus, because he's the light of the world, he delivers us from the penalty of sin in the past and the power of sin in the present. He died for us and he lives for us. But in order for us to take advantage of this light, we have to follow Jesus. And so Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. That's his declaration. But in order to receive his light, we have to follow his command. So secondly, we see his command. He says, whoever follows me. And the question becomes, how do we follow Jesus? We see in Psalm 119 verse 105 that the psalmist writes... Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We hold fast to the Bible because we know that these are the words of God. Last week, Jerry did a great job as he introduced the passage from the first section of, chapter, of John chapter 8. He did a great job showing us the manuscript evidence that we have for the scriptures um, I want to reiterate that. I've got, a, I've got a picture for you that points us to the, reli- to the reliability of the Bible. And, and if you look at this picture, this huge yellow dot that you will see represent the 24,000 manuscripts that we have of the New Testament. That huge dot that looks like the sun has 24,000 manuscripts. All these other small dots represent Other manuscripts from Greek historians, people that we would recognize like Plato, we only have seven manuscripts. Tacitus or Homer, 
We have 500 manuscripts from Homer. But keep in mind the manuscripts that we have for the Bible, they're 40 to 70 years. The first manuscripts that we have are only 40 to 70 years past when the original manuscripts were written. Most of these manuscripts, Sophocles for instance, 1400 years after his original writings were in place. Homer, 500 years. Plato, 1400 years between his original manuscripts and the the manuscript copies that we have in place. The scriptures, the New Testament, 40 to 70 years. We've got 24,000 copies. We have amazing evidence of the reliability of the Bible. That there were dozens of authors writing on multiple continents for a, a period of time of hundreds of years, if you look at the Old Testament to the New, and the prophecies point toward Jesus, the entire narrative of Scripture tells one story that the Bible is all about this man who would say, I am the light of the world. But I want to remind us as believers that the Bible isn't a book that we simply adhere to or pledge our faith upon once upon a time. At the time of salvation. The Bible is the very words of God. It's living and it's active. People have said oftentimes, if God showed up today, I'd listen to him. And the answer to that is God has put his spirit in the hearts of believers. And God is with us today. Not only through his spirit who lives in us. But through his words that speak to us. As we open his word and read his words and hear his voice. He came and lived for you and me. And he's coming again to defeat all darkness. But the scriptures say that Jesus is patient. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's patient with you and me. He doesn't grow weary with slow learners. And so many of us are very slow learners when it comes to our Christian faith. I will uh, be the... First to admit that I am a very slow learner. And I want to remind us as we follow Jesus. I want to remind us. I just mentioned an experience that I had this past week. I met with a counselor. And uh, I encourage everyone to experience counseling. You might need to meet with a professional counselor as I did. You might need to meet with just a friend. Who's in your missional community or your coffee group. Who can offer you Good counsel. But as I talked with my counselor Murray this last week, we talked some about the lack of joy that I experience and my issues with being overly responsible and at times taking on really more on my shoulders than I should attempt to take on and and kind of how that's been my way of, of making my way through life. Of being someone that could get the job done. And the praise that I received for that. And as we worked through that. Murray asked me. So what does that feel like. When you're in some of those moments. We were kind of talking. And and I had a really hard time describing to him. 
what it feels like. And as I began to describe my times of struggle, Mary said, that sounds like you're really afraid. And I would have never been able to put the emotion of fear with all the hours that I put in with trying to get something accomplished, with trying to do great things for God. But Murray was right. Fear. This fear that I won't be enough or that the way in which I've been recognized in the past, that I wouldn't be recognized that way in the future. And I've still got a lot to unpack in my own life. But Murray was so gracious to remind me of the truths of the gospel. And he asked me, tell me about a time in ministry where you experienced joy. And I struggled for a moment. And I remembered a summer in Louisville, Kentucky. I lived in the basement of a church building with six other um, summer missionaries. I was a college student. And I found great joy painting church signs and doing maintenance around an old historical urban church building there in the inner city of Louisville, Kentucky at 10th and Algonquin, just down from the Derby. There was a housing project across the street from us. And there were, for me, there was great joy just in serving the Lord in small, very menial, ordinary tasks. And Murray was able to take me back and remind me, and this is what I want you to hear, of the truths of the gospel. That God is the one who motivates us. That, and, and as I was reminded of the gospel, I was reminded of the freedom that I have to find joy in Jesus. I want to show you how that works in each of our lives. Because Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever walks in darkness. So he makes this declaration. He says, I am the light of the world. And then he gives us a command. He says, uh, whoever follows me, so we have to follow Jesus. And then he gives us a promise. He says that we will not walk in darkness. We will not walk in darkness. Doesn't that sound good? Today we live in a world that is experiencing a great deal of darkness. So how do Christians not walk in darkness? How do you know if you're walking in darkness? I want to start out by exploring just quickly what darkness feels like. Close your eyes for a second. Close your eyes with me right where you are. Imagine a time in your life where things just felt really dark. Maybe that's right now for you. What does that feel like for you emotionally? I'm guessing that it feels pretty lonely. Maybe... You're fearful. I imagine you're sad. Maybe even filled with shame. Now open your eyes. What do, what do we do when we feel those kinds of emotions? Because those are emotions that each of us feel every day. Whether we recognize them or not. And they don't lead us to the light. Instead, they lead us to darkness. They lead us to ways in which we would cope. So they lead us oftentimes away from Jesus as we attempt to cope with the darkness, the fear, the loneliness, the shame, the sadness that we feel. Because when we pursue anything else in our life in order to escape those feelings, whatever we pursue is idolatry if it's not Jesus. 
when we feel those emotions, it's so important that as human beings that we learn how to feel our feelings and that we lean into them and that we allow them to lead us back to the power of the gospel. You see, we don't, we don't make decisions based on our feelings. Right now, the world says, I feel this way, so I'm going to follow my emotions. And if I follow my emotions, then I will feel good. But our emotions are given to us in order that they would point us back to the power of the gospel. You see, darkness reminds us of our need for the light. So as we battle darkness, we must look to the death of Jesus and also to the life of Jesus because he delivered us from the penalty of sin in the past. And Jesus offers us deliverance from the power of sin and darkness in the present. One of the ways that, that I try to do this in the mornings is that as I open my CBR journal, which there's nothing magic about the community Bible reading journal. It's just, it's actually just a plan where we read an Old Testament chapter a day and a New Testament chapter a day. In fact, I just use a blank journal because I've kind of memorized the questions that the, the CBR suggests. But it's so helpful for me in the morning as I begin my day to write down what emotions I am feeling. And then to allow the gospel to point me back to what God has to say. What the gospel, how it sheds light and truth on the emotions that I'm feeling. Because if, I'll, if I'm honest with you, there is rarely a day that goes by that I don't experience a great deal of fear. But when the gospel sheds light on that fear, all of a sudden I see the fear more clearly. And I'm able to offer that to Jesus. Finally, Jesus gives us some incredible results here. He says, I am the light of the world. He makes this incredible declaration. He says, whoever follows me. So there's a command that he gives us. And then he offers an amazing promise. He says, we will not walk in darkness. And the results are that we will have the light of life. Here's the incredible thing. When we walk with Jesus in the light, the light can't stay inside of us. That's how Jesus would go on to say in Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16, You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so this week when you hear the millionth story on the news about the pandemic and masks and statues and equality. And when you are tempted to grow weary and be overcome by the darkness. Remember the one who was raised up on a cross. He was raised up on a cross causing darkness to cover all the earth. Remember the moment when Jesus declared, it is finished and would go on to defeat death, hell, and the grave in order that one day you and I who follow him and walk in his light will enjoy the light of life. And he describes that. And I end with Revelation 21. Listen to these verses as I end. Verses 22 through 26. John says, as he 
sees the vision of heaven. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord, the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Bow your heads and pray with me. Oh, Father, we thank you. Thank you for this declaration. The second I am saying that we see that where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. God, would you give us the power through your spirit to trust you, to follow you, to slow down long enough each day as we begin our day and throughout our day to acknowledge our need for you, to be aware of what we're feeling And God, to bring our feelings to you. And God, to allow you to light our day. And as we follow you, God, to trust in your promises. Jesus, thank you that you are so good. God, I pray for those of our friends and our family who do not know you. God, we know that you're at work in this time. We pray that your light would shine from our lives. And God, we pray that the light of life would light the hearts of those who do not know you. Jesus, we thank you for these truths that we find in your word. Our hope is in you. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen.